Hi everyone. Great to see you. Oh, great to be with you. Would be nice, wouldn't it, to uh, meet together again? But here we are. Um, brilliant, though, to, to get the chance to share with you about um, something of the news of Easter. Our new series, uh, Resurrection uh, Stories. John, at the end of his gospel, um, takes time to detail a few of the people who were the first witnesses um, to Jesus. To Jesus around his cross and um, as he as he revealed himself to people when he rose again and they're hopefully going to prove to be a huge um, challenge for us I think it's easy to think and there is um, a flow of thought that sort of suggests that it's it's good even if it's not true this Christian message, even if it's not true, it's kind of good. There's generic good in the Christian message. There's generic benefits in sort of the moral teaching that comes out um, of preachers' mouths, that kind of stuff. There's hope and there's morals and there's faith and that sort of stuff. Um, but read with, read with me what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. And the text will come up on your screen and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just like fire through it really quick. Paul says at the start, yeah, there it is, verse, I think it's verse one, I want to remind you of something, and his gist is I want to remind you of what's um, really important, the most important thing. And then he says in verse, end of verse three and into verse four, that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. Most important thing, um, Paul says. And then skip to verse 14 with me. And don't, you know, this you could put this uh, reading under all of the talks, the next four talks that we're going to do through the Easter story, really. But jump on to verse 14. This is what Paul says. If Christ has not been raised, hang on to this. Think about the generic good I mentioned at the start. Our preaching, this message that I'm delivering just now, is useless. And worse than that, so is your faith. Read that again. Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And then you skip down to verse uh, 19, the last verse in the text. Paul goes on to say, and if that's the case, then we are to be pitied more than anybody else. Paul says, like I think really bluntly, without the cross and the resurrection, these sorts of messages and your sort of faith is useless. But, he goes on to say in other letters, and beyond in this text as well, if it's true, so this is the, this is the knife edge that I think Paul puts us on, deliberately, if, if it's not true, the generic benefits are ultimately useless, we, we should really stop. But if the true, if the resurrection is true, then every word, even the most average preach, Every second you're at home that you spend pondering over um, God and your future um, and the reason that you're here, ev all of that stuff becomes essential. And if it's true, uh, then it becomes essential for life, for every second of it, every thing that you're going to do or thing that you're going to think about, it becomes illuminating for life. That's that's what we hope that's what I'm hoping that we're going to get out of this series, that we will 
I revisit the resurrection again and be reminded again of the sort of knife edge point that it brings to brings us to that it that it says and we can sort of read with Paul if it's if it's true you know this this faith that we've got doesn't just take us down sort of a a middle of the road happy existence it's amazing it's illuminating it's life-changing uh, one of the words um that i've had that somebody shared with me about how to understand salvation was a trajectory and i can't even really say that word very well see my lips moving all over it trajectory um and so somebody shared this word with me and said this is a really good way to understand um people coming to faith think of it like you know like a rocket that that's heading somewhere and I remember the first time I heard it thinking well I'm not really happy with that it feels a bit inadequate I was a I was a bit more of the thinking this is a a once in a lifetime momenty prayer and then after that you know you're saved and you're in and that's it and I sort of saw it as a bit of a soft a soft illustration of what faith can be but over time, I've grown to really see that it's not really a soft illustration. It's actually a, a really helpful illustration um, and a really big challenge as well. It's not soft. It's actually hard. The Christian believer is heading somewhere the whole time. You know, It might be inch by inch, might be a long way down the road, might be further up the road, whatever, but they're heading somewhere. They're on the move. I think the annual punctuation of the Easter story this this brutal crucifixion story that we stop and look over as we eat our chocolate Easter, Easter eggs, the, the amazing resurrection hope that we hopefully at some point in the next three weeks will stop and consider should make us ask in our lives, where are we headed? You know, maybe put that question over the next three or four talks. Where am I headed? Where am I going? What's next for me? What's my trajectory? Um, so you noticed in the text that we're looking at the story of, uh, as Andy read for us, we're looking at the story of Nicodemus, and you will have noticed as well that there was a pre-cross reading. Maybe you noticed this. There's a pre-cross reading, and then there was an after-cross reading. It's the two main accounts that we get of Nicodemus. There's another one in the middle of John's Gospel where he's having a, a barney with some of his fellow lawmakers. But these are the two main accounts, and I think it helps us see two things. So just I just want to trying from the text and give us two things to think about the first thing i think nicodemus shows us is is what it means to wrestle with in the idea of christianity the things that we struggle with not everything it's not exhaustive but is a really good character study of of the problems that we have what's at stake the sort of logical struggles the tensions it causes as, as to think through people to think through on the way to faith that's the first thing i want to sort of illuminate those struggles. And then the second thing, I think Nicodemus shows us, and I'll explain this. Um, so you might have, he's a really interesting character, Nicodemus, really worth thinking about. You know, did he come to faith? What's what's the outcome of this story? I would say Nicodemus shows us what it looks like to be affected and changed by Jesus' cross and his resurrection. So those two things. So firstly, the things that he's wrestling with that I think we wrestle with um, too, and I don't know how much we will have thought about these things. There's three three quick things. The first one is fear. Do you notice in the text, and Nicodemus goes to see Jesus. This is not because he, I mean, he is a busy man. You sort of you can sort of see that in his character, but he doesn't come at night. 
um, just because he's got no time. You can imagine um, the Passover. The Passover is a really interesting time in Jerusalem. It's just, I've read different reports that there were just hundreds of thousands of people in this small old city. You know, you just, not very COVID friendly scenes, you can imagine, just people on top of people. And you've got this this great um, moment, I think, where you've got this guy, Nicodemus, who's a, you know, you're going to, everyone in the town is going to recognize him as, as being a leader. And you've got Jesus who comes to town as well at the same time. They're both there. And Jesus is doing these miracles and he's, you know, it's a very crass term, but he's a celebrity. A celebrity. Everybody knows who he is. These two figures are, are both in town. And Nicodemus um, has got a million questions about Jesus, but he comes to Jesus at night because, because he's in fear. He's scared. I think probably a little bit scared of what might happen to him, but I think probably more scared of, and I think this touches on how it feels to think about Christianity, to be close to Christianity. Um, there's a fear for him about what it will mean for the rest of his life, for his way of life, for his position, for his friends, for his associations. He's like a made man at the moment and his life has got a real pattern to it. And all of his um, associates and friends think a certain way and he sees this guy Jesus who sort of blows him away but he's afraid he's really afraid of what it's going to mean he's afraid of what it's going to mean for his life in a way that maybe we're not but he's also afraid of what it's going to mean for his circumstances I think that we whether we are like searching about Christianity or whether we are a Christian already and sort of conscious that that God asks for a trajectory from us God asks more from us that we we share that same fear I think whether whether you're searching or not whether you're searching or whether you're already in there's a sense in which it's there is a fear that hangs over you about how far you want to commit to this thing so that's the first thing and that can be that can be enough to put people off altogether or it can be enough for people to you know shut the book up stop watching the sermons that sort of thing or it can be enough to pause people in how far they go with their faith that's the first thing, fear. Nicodemus has a fear problem. The second thing I think that he has is a logic problem. Notice, um, and I, I don't know if Jesus offered him a drink. I don't know exactly where they were, but I imagine over the next these next couple of verses, Nicodemus, um, you know, that those moments when somebody says something to you that's so out of the ordinary that you've got to you spit your juice out. <clears throat> you know, I'm reading quite a lot into the, the scene there, but I'm trying to set the picture for you. In verse 2, uh, Nicodemus comes and you can see that he knows Jesus is worthy of respect. You see that in the text. You can you, you, you can sense that, can't you? He calls him rabbi. So he gets there and he calls him rabbi. So he knows that Jesus is, even though Jesus hasn't got the qualifications that he's got, he's got respect for him in that sense. And he declares him a teacher. So he declares he's important. And he also you know, describes in the text, goes on to describe in verse 2, you can see that, that he knows that there's something miraculous about him. Now, I reckon, I reckon, I think lots of people get to this point. If, if Definitely if you're a searcher, you'll look at Jesus's life, you'll see it's good, you'll, you'll have a moment where you'd be willing to say, yeah, this guy is a good teacher. I could declare him a teacher and I could also find, I'm going to also find it difficult to deny the miracles but do you see Nicodemus has got all that in his head but his struggle comes with what 
Jesus, the weird, the next couple of lines that come out of Jesus's mouth. Jesus says to him, you've got to be born again. This is, the, this is the spit in the juice out of your mouth moment. Jesus says to him, you've got to be born again. And he goes on to say um, into verse five, we've been thinking about the kingdom, haven't we? The kingdom of God and what it means. He says to him, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born of water and spirit. And you can just almost, you know, you could pick that emoji on your phone where the, the head explodes. When I'm, when it's in my favorites, is that emoji, because it represents me a lot of the time. But you can imagine that, that for Nicodemus in this moment, that he's just, Jesus has just said something to him, even though he's a learned man, he's a man that knows the law really, really well. And he's been, you know, studying God this whole time. Jesus has just said something to the teacher of Israel that's just, you know, just blown his mind. And I think, I think it's fair to pass that on to us. I think we would struggle equally. And people do struggle equally with that concept of the language that Jesus uses, the language of Christianity, which is, and you've heard uh, Christians sometimes describe themselves as, as born again. I'm, you know, I'm not just a Christian, I'm born again. And it's a head exploder, isn't it? You think, well, what does that mean? And um, Nicodemus thinks about it biologically almost, and he sort of, and and he sort of, his head explodes. And even if you don't think about it biologically, even if you think about it from a, I'm really going to change perspective, even that, even the idea of a total new existence, that blows our minds as well, doesn't it? Because we think, really, can we, is that really a thing that's possible? And it puts us off. I think the last thing, last thing that we can relate to in the Nicodemus story is his, um, is the, is the, and I'm going to say this, I think he was really confused by how Jesus rounds this off in chapter three. I think he's confused by the way that Jesus explains the Bible. And I think that can be a real point of confusion for, for lots of us. You look at the Bible. And so in the text there, you can see in verse 14 and 15, Jesus's point of explanation. In fact, I'll just, I'll just look for it and, and read it out. Verse 14 and 15, he says, Jesus says to him, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, uh, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And Jesus does this thing where he he, he shares a story. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with that story. You might be. I think Nicodemus will have been pretty familiar with it. But Jesus says, he describes it in such a way, connects it to himself and access to the to the kingdom in a way that I reckon I don't I'm I reckon Nicodemus will have been confused by this from here on in this story of the snake and sometimes when you, when you look back at the text you know when you listen to somebody like me or Paul or one of the elders preaching or you know whoever it is or you're sat on your you sat at home reading through your Bible and you're looking in the you know the big the big chunky Old Testament and you come across some weird story about a guy who's who's built a boat because the world's flooding and he's going to get the animals on it or you come across a bunch of people who are ready to kill their neighbors because um, they, they don't think the king's right or they've done some wrong uh, religious practice you know all these sometimes you 
you know, even the most faithful of us, we read the Bible and our eyes pop out of our heads and we go, what? And Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, I think as Jesus explains the Bible to him, I think his eyes pop out of his heads. So I think whether we are searching or whether we're believing, these these three things, the fear of change, this this um, human logic pull, and the confusion that the Bible can sometimes can, can be a real showstopper or a, an ongoing struggle for us as Christians. That being said, it's not the end of the story for Nicodemus. And it presents us, I think, with a brilliant a challenge slash inspiration um, to our faith stories. Because I reckon fear of change, logic pull, being confused about the book will hit all of you lot. Hit Definitely hit me at different parts and really affected how we feel about our faith. Um, let's look what happens to Nicodemus. Let me just read it out again, just to remind you of it. It's verse 38 of the 19th chapter. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, just hold in your head at this moment um, all of those things. Nicodemus's fear, his position, he's, he's been completely confused by the snake story, all, all of that sort of stuff. Hold that in your head. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly uh, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. If you want to know what 75 pounds is, it's loads. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. He's part of the burial team for Jesus. Now, just keep in your head again, keep in your head for the moment, the confusion, the wrestling match that goes on in our heads and that would have gone on in Nicodemus's head, particularly about Jesus's use of the Old Testament, particularly about his use of that story of the snake. I, this, the commentators differ on it. So one event happened at one Jewish Passover and this present event in chapter 19 happens at another Passover so some people say it was three years apart and some people say maybe one year apart and other people say other stuff but we know it was a distance apart and you've got this guy Nicodemus who's a you know he's a thinker he's a he's an academic like racking his brain as to how this could possibly make sense how access to eternal life can be achieved in a similar way that Moses um, lifted up the snake. One of the things that happened in the Old Testament, this story of the snake, uh, maybe you're familiar with it. Moses, um, there were people who'd been bitten by snakes and they were, you know, ill and dying, you know, as, 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 as what often seemed to happen to God's people in the Old Testament. And Moses lifted up the snake and people lived. So this, this, um, this story is going round and round in Nicodemus's head. And imagine, Imagine the moment. Now, I don't know where he was at the moment that that the Easter story happened. I don't know where Nicodemus was. It doesn't tell us exactly where he was. I have a, I have a feeling um, that he would have been there, but I don't know. But in, wherever he was in Jerusalem at that time, imagine 
imagine when he hears about or sees Jesus, and I think sees, I think sees, because we know that there were lots of um, Pharisees and Sadducees around the cross at this time, and pouring scorn on Jesus on who he was. I think sees, and he sees Jesus lifted up on the cross. He sees him lifted up, and he hears the reports from around of the dead rising. He's thinking on the miracles that this man has done and his mind is tripping on the good nature of this person and the personal ache for injustice that he's witnessing. And that's kind of bursting out of him. Imagine, imagine how that might make sense of what Jesus said those year, three years before. This is what I would say about the Bible first up. Without the resurrection, you know, don't read it. But I would say to you, every page of this book, that huge Old Testament from the from the very first words um, of the creator and the spirit hovering over the waters and the logos, the word being there at the beginning and the three person trinity right at the point of creation right through to a nation desperately searching for a king for a nation trying to figure out what sacrifice means for you know however many hundreds of years to a people instructed on what it means to be holy but just can't quite reach it and because their hearts aren't right every 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 single word Jesus says, and I would uh, reaffirm to you, points towards this moment, this character, Jesus, makes sense of him and he makes sense of it. I guess you could look at the world now and sometimes you could pick up your Bible and you say, yeah, it's, it feels quite an implausible book. But I would say, look at the, look at, look around at the world, have a look at the, the struggle people, um, trying to write laws that can help us all live a good life and the amount of times that we discuss the law and then we reflect that we need we need to be either better educated about how to live or we need change on the inside read the more i read the book the more i think it's right on the money and it's got the answers so that's the first thing jesus as he's lifted up makes sense uh, to nicodemus he makes sense of this implausible uh, backstory of Israel. The second thing I think he deals with is Nicodemus's fear. Do you remember he comes at night? You've got this picture of this guy is an important guy, and yet he's terrified. He's got a million questions to ask Jesus. He's blown away by what he's done, and yet he's scared. He's scared of what it means. He's scared he's what he's going what he's going to lose. He's scared of what's going to happen to him. And yet in this moment. Consider what happens to his fear. Consider what he does. I don't know how um, carefully you were reading along um, for that in the second part of that text. Um, it goes on to describe how this man who was in fear of being seen in public at the point when Jesus is 
is convicted and beaten up and is that you know is at his least presentable you could say he's least likely to be a successful guy to follow at this point because of what Nicodemus has seen in him he puts his hand up he steps forward he comes with Joseph and he does something that in these times um, it was the um, the lower down uh, members of society would do the slaves would do this or the really close personal relatives you know the, the women would do this different times but Nicodemus a public figure an important guy gets his hands dirty in an act of love and care and compassion and worship um, that he's not ever been near in his whole life and he bandages up Jesus and he lavishes on him this ointment as an act of worship to him when we think about what it means when we think about his fear and we think about the way that fear can sometimes hold us back and held him back I'd say looking at this moment in the Easter story that Nicodemus had never been more alive in his life than this moment he's in the moment he's being true to himself he's acting with compassion he's not governed by fear but he's facing his fears he saw Jesus lifted up he knew who he was and he came to life the last thing I think it helps us resolve is the is the logic problem Nicodemus had wrestled with this too and we wrestle with it don't we born again really can somebody go back inside their mother's womb a second time ultimately I need to underscore this message by saying we don't know of Nicodemus's salvation when it's not recorded for us exactly whether he professed and and that kind of thing Jesus says elsewhere that by your fruits you will know them i.e. if you see um, the budding of, of new life if you see the actions of new life then it suggests something is happening in the heart I would suggest this my conviction would be that something had happened in his heart as he observed Jesus because of the fruits that he manifested I don't think as Nick wondered Nick that's my notes I've put Nick in my notes as Nicodemus wondered whether somebody could actually be born again and as he wrestled with this and as we wrestled with it all I would say is I don't think a year previously Nicodemus had anywhere in his mind uh, that he would be embalming a dead body not least the, the body of Jesus not least the body of somebody who'd been a convicted criminal it would have been nowhere in his thinking it's him but it's not really him it's him changed it's him new and in, in an incredible way this is what the cross does I think when you see it and when you encounter it 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 makes sense incredibly it makes sense of a story that that looks ancient and unpausable sometimes it drives out fear it does it drives out fear it allows us to face our fear Jesus says doesn't he that perfect love drives out fear and it does in an incredible way 
and it makes new life possible. I think this is what Easter, this is what I hope this Easter series, this Easter story will begin to remind us. Sort of, we will come to this this resurrection story and not, you know, not gloss over it, but just really be struck struck again by the fact, the reality that this resurrection means that that new things are possible. It feels like we live in a in a climate at the moment where we, you know, you almost can't see beyond, can we? We can't see beyond COVID, or we can't see beyond, you know, the 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 stage that we're in. You look at the resurrection story and, you know, COVID doesn't, respectfully, it doesn't come close. New life is possible with Jesus because of the resurrection. Habits that can hold us back. You think of the, the way that Nicodemus uh, lived and the, the, the foundations of his life that just fell away in light of the cross. We look at the way that he faced his fears. Fears can be faced as we look at this Easter story, we think of the way that Nicodemus reached, reached new heights. His experience of what religion was, <clears throat> was just a tiny, poor shadow. That's how uh, Romans describes living inside of the law in that way without Jesus, doesn't it? And because of the resurrection, Nicodemus reaches new levels. There are new possibilities. This is what the Easter story brings us. Just two really quick challenges as I finish. If you're somebody who's thinking about this and searching, I want you to consider the fact that Nicodemus was a real historical figure. He was a real dude, real guy. The crucifixion of Jesus, real. And in this, there's a moment in time, there was a moment in time when as as the guy Jesus is hung on a cross in his least favourable moment, this public figure risks everything to follow him. Why would he do that if Jesus wasn't who he said he was? Why wouldn't he do that if the miracles weren't true? You wouldn't abandon your life's work to follow a, a crucified convict without a good reason. That's the challenge to somebody who's thinking about it or searching. The last one is a challenge to us as Christians. It's the trajectory challenge. God takes Nicodemus on an upwardly mobile journey. He goes from fear and thought for himself and that kind of stuff towards like a beautiful picture of love and devotion because of the cross. And he's on a trajectory. We don't really know where he was and we don't really know where he ended up, but we know we think we observe somebody that's on the trajectory. This is the last question as we wrap up. What's your trajectory? Where are you headed this Easter? We'll come back to that challenge. We know that in Christ, new things are possible. Habits can be broken. Lives can be changed. That's the promise of the resurrection.